Hello and welcome to another episode of Off the Record, the Daily Records weekly podcast with me, David McCarthy, and Keith Jackson, as we talk to some of the biggest names to grace Scottish football over the years and bringing you the stories behind the headlines that they have made. Today's guest enjoyed a terrific playing career with Falkirk and his beloved Hibs, not to mention a season with Celtic and a goal in an old Thurham game. But it's a managerial career that's seen him take unfancied sides to two Scottish Cup finals and a League Cup final and winning the Scottish with Inverness Caledonia and Thistle in 2015, a result that made the football world sit up and take notice. He also guided the Highlanders to an astonishing third place in the Premiership and won Manager of the Year from the Football Writers and PFA Scotland. Which begs the question, why is John Yogi John Hughes sitting talking to us when he should be in a training ground and in a dugout on a Saturday afternoon? Let's ask him. Welcome to the show, John Hughes. Uh, morning, guys. Nice to be on. Morning. Morning, it's, good, John. Anyway, it's, a good, it's a good first question, Yogi. I mean, what's going on? Oh, I'm, I'm desperate to get back in. Um, it's just finding the right club. Uh, I go through the proper process in terms of putting my CV in. Um, and it's just, I've, something's never come my way. It's never fell on my lap. I look at some of the jobs that have come up off late. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aberdeen, um, you know, and Barry got in there and he's done an exceptional job and deserves a job. And then you look at the other ones in terms of Motherwell, uh, Stuart got in there and done an exceptional job and deserves a job. So that's the way the cookie crumbles. You just have to get on with it. And I'm honest enough to say this. I'm not against any of these young guys getting a chance. I got a chance. I was very, very um, thankfully getting a chance at Falkirk when I was a young young coach and these guys need a chance so I just have to wait my time and hopefully the right one comes up but I'll, I'll say this the batteries are recharged and I'm ready to go and desperate to get back in Have you get close Yogi over the last wee while I mean that, well, how long is that now you've been out? Well I, t- I always take time out give to reflect and take time out um, after they've done Fenland one and the, uh, I just felt I had another year there to go I just felt my job was to go in and keep them in the league. And unfortunately, I never achieved that. But if you look at the, the percentages and the numbers, if I was in there at the start of the season, they would have yeah. finished fourth in the league. But you get left holding the baby, don't you? And that's part and parcel of football. I've no complaints about that. I've got a great belief, uh, conviction in my courage, uh, in my convictions, and get in there and, and try and get the job done. Um but, and it's just part and parcel of football where all these young guys are coming through and they're doing a great job and I just have to bide my time. There's one or two things that you think you get close to. Uh, I've always tried to fancy my chances going abroad. Uh, I think Scottish football's maybe stereotyped at, uh, Scottish coaches when, you know, they're going for these jobs, oh, it's long ball stuff and uh, get up and at them, all that kind of style. A lot of the stuff that the Scottish supporters, we love, you know, we love to see guys getting stuck in and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm no different from that, but I just think that um, to go over there and be a Scottish coach anywhere abroad and bring a style of football, I think the game should be played. Um, it would suit me. But there again, everybody's trying to do it. And there's so many coaches, better coaches than me, better managers than me out there in the same position. So you just have to be you just have to be patient. And hopefully someone will for come your way. 
Keep opinion for Aberdeen, opinion for Dundee United, opinion for Motherwell. Uh, went in for a director role up at Hibs at my club, a director of football role. That was a wee bit disappointment. I never even made the interview process. Uh, but I'm more really? disappointed, more disappointed for Mixu because I think Mixu made the interview process. And I think the club up there, you know, a great club and they're doing wonderful things up there. They really are. But I still think there's a lack of identity for the supporters in the board. I don't think they've got that football figure on the board that the fans can relate to. Uh, and I think Mitchell might have been that. I might have been that. But everybody to their own, there's, there's no hard feelings. How do we go in terms of and the teams I've mentioned? I got brought up with common courtesy in terms of you conduct yourself for many an argument, many a fault, but you conduct yourself in a proper manner. And my frustration was that you're not hearing for these clubs in terms of thanks very much, we'll be back in touch or no, or whatever it is. And then, but that's the way it's going, that's the way society's going and you just have to get, get used to it. Then somebody says to me, but why should, why should it be you? Well, you're a Scots guy, I don't think there'll be hundreds and hundreds of CVs sitting on a desk with Scots guys and we're all in the game together, we're all in that, we're all in the same circle. So just that wee phone call just to say, thanks but no thanks, we're going down a different route. Wasn't having a go at anybody, it was just a case of common courtesy, the way you, way you conduct yourself, it could have been a little bit better. See, when you yeah. look at your CV, Yogi, I mean, managerial CV, it stacks up against anybody out there. So is there a, is there a perception that you know that you kind of cultivated as a player this perception of big daft laddie great for a laugh and stuff like that has has that kind of overlapped into your managerial thing and like people don't maybe realize that you're a real deep thinker about football and the way that you had your team playing football was the complete opposite of the way that you played football if you know what i mean where it was you know 100% you know giving it absolutely everything and you know, big, strong, physical guy. Is there a kind of wrong perception about you in football, do you think? Well, it's a perception. You can't use people's perception of uh, what they think of you. That's up to them. Uh, in terms of, I've never seen, I've never been, I'll put my hand up and say I've never been the most educated in terms of school. All my education is for football. All I wanted to do was uh, play football, uh, educate myself on football, coach it. And I think that when you see how my teams play, it's total football. And that's no matter if you're talking about cup finals, winning the Scottish Cup, you know, that stuff. The two things that stick out to me is, um, and where I take great pride from, is my teams play football properly. Uh, 90% of the players that I've worked with, they still keep in touch. And most of them will tell you it's the best education, best time at their careers. Um, and that's gives you great fulfilment. In terms of people's perception, I think that um, when I go into the club or anything that I do, I don't go in half-hearted. It's uh, it's full out everything. I want the best for everything. I want the best for the groundsmen. I want the best training pitches. I want the best equipment. Um, and if we've not got it, then I'm asking questions. Um, and what we can do to keep moving things forward and all that stuff. And I think people are scared of that. I think yes. people are scared of that. Come on, hey, let's get moving. 
So we hang up, we got Wilson. Uh, first thing you done when I went into Rangers, you just went right into an environment and just revamped the whole place. That come for us at Falkirk. We were in at Falkirk. And what we couldn't do, we found a way to do it in terms of, right, we never had the funding, we never had money. Right, okay, we'll have a, a champagne breakfast, all the players, uh, 10 tickets each. Bring all your mates, all your family. We'll get a speaker in the morning, raise the funds. And we went out and bought all the new kind of equipment and markers. And then we looked after it. Um, really worked hard on, you know, training facilities, getting the best. I wanted the best at anything that was out there. And that's what I was doing. I was buying on the door saying, and I think a lot of people are scared of that. I think they're setting their ways. There's a lot of self-preservation in that football. And they don't want that guy to come in and say, I know you want to do is move the club forward. But they're mm. setting their ways and they want to move the club forward. And I totally understand that. I'm not against anybody for that. And I think that might put people off. But as I say, David, the bottom line is, it answers itself. My team's the way my team's play football. We played Rangers in a Scottish Cup final. They beat us 1-0. Mm. I could take that on the chin because we passed them off the park that day. We were a real good football centre and Rangers knew it. Yeah. Yogi, we've been talking a lot on this podcast lately about today's environment, right? And the sort of a modern way, the, the, the attempt to reinvent the wheel that seems to be going on. <laughs> Academia, you know, guys that seem to have come straight from a classroom into a dressing room, but without actually doing any of the playing bit or the 30 years experience beforehand. Do you feel you're penalised for that a little bit because there is this modern culture now, you know, where that's fine if you've gone to university or even studied it on Xbox, played football manager for 10 years, then you're a computer expert. I'll put him in there. Are we, are we missing a trick a wee bit here? Are we in danger of going too far away from, you know, the nuts and bolts of football? Well, I think that even myself, uh, even at my age, you have to get up to speed with it in terms of there's no point if there's tools out there that you feel it can enhance you as a coach or your team, then you take it on board and you use it. That's being innovative. I'm not against that. In terms of no. your, other, your other part of the question, what I will say is I coached, I tutored the B licence and A licence and coached all these, these guys coming through for a number of years. I think I've done it for about 10 years. And it was amazing to see my job was to help them on the coaching pitch. It was absolutely fantastic. Loved it. Never come across anyone uh, that didn't want to learn. Uh, not got a bad word to say. The SFA coaching badges are fundamental for you being a coach. And the Scottish SFA badges are right up there. But how many guys come on that, and uh, they were struggling to coach. Now, it's my job to help them through the week and prepare them and all that stuff. So... You're right on it. But when it comes to PowerPoint's presentation, these guys were up there doing that and it was like fireworks coming out and it was like unbelievable. And they were, they were so articulate in the way, in their, in their speech, in the way they come across. And I can remember Jim Fluting nudging me and says to me, you're just coaching, you're coaching them. You've seen how hard they're struggling on the football pitch. And yet when they're up there doing that presentation, they're unbelievable. And I really honestly believe that um, football's starting to go that way, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But it's starting to go, you say, Keith, it's everybody's recognising it and it's starting to come back for that guy that wants to put the boiler suit on, get his hands dirty and be on his training pitch. I'm a training pitch coach. I want to be on the training pitch from morning to afternoon. 
I want to be studying football, watching football. Most of my education, obviously for a young boy coming right through football, but we always used to take teams over to Holland uh, pre-season. And even if you're playing against a local village team and you're beating them 5 6 no, they're still trying to play total football for the goalkeeper. And then when you step up as the the week goes on and you're playing against better opposition, it's usually getting beat 4 or 5 no. I had no ego whatsoever to get in the opposition manager's change room after the game and get half an hour picking his brains. What do you do? How did you do that? How did you set that? That's my education. I think a lot of coaches and managers now, as you say, it's talk the talk with no substance. And everybody, even I sit and go, not got a clue what it's talking about. Not got a clue, you know, and, and I just go. Uh, and that's it. And that's the way seem how the, the game seemed to go. Uh, and it's looking, if you look at all the owners and a lot of owners in, uh, in football nowadays, you know, you, they, I think they want that. I think mm-hmm. they want that. But I'm feeling, a, I'm feeling a change. I'm feeling it's coming back to the old ways. And uh, they want that guy to get their hands dirty and, you know, be honest and up front and 24-7. And going back to David, your question, trust me, I need a rest. I need a rest when, when I come out of football. I'm absolutely 24-7, non-stop when I'm in football. If it's no football and it's something else I do, it's it's bizarre. It's actually into the cycling. I went into the cycling. Yeah. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna be a Tour de France cyclist. That's 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 my mindset. I really got uh, really got that kind of passion for anything I go into. And then, then I go and study it. Right, go to the Tour de France. How are they training? Where are they training? What's their mileage? What's the food? What's their diet like? Um, how did I get up? And then before you know it. You're losing two stone just to be on the bike because you want to be a better climber. Before you know it, you say, wow, man. And then I went into the gym there. Honestly, I was in the gym for about three years. I was living like a patrona with a bodybuilder. I was 16 stone. I was mm-hmm. absolute solid. I was out there. I, honestly, I could have, I was massive. I was in training with him. I was battering in there five days a week, eating six meals a day purposely eating to grow, all the protein stuff, because it's one of these things, it's that obsession. Uh, and then whatever you can do. Whatever you can do. Mm. The cycling goes, everything else goes, and that's it. And I can only see one thing, and then the golf had went, all that stuff. And then the boys doing the golf says, come on, get, get yourself back golfing. Nah, I wasn't interested. And he says, come on, we're going to Turkey. Golfing. So I went to Turkey golfing with him, not having no play for a long, long, long time. And I couldn't even swing the golf club. I was that big. And for that day coming back, for that day coming back for Turkey last November, I said, right, that's it. That's the weights, everything finished. I'm coming out of the gym. I'm going back into the uh, try to get myself fit. And it was a lot to do with um try to swing the golf club and doing all the weights. So was my body was covered in inflammation. In terms of my elbows, my wrists, my fingers, my back, my knees. And then I went into look, research to get rid of the inflammation, uh, immune system, clear it all out, clear all the immune system out, gut it all out, and went on a plant-based, plant-based diet. Only thing, only thing I left in was fish, 
uh, and eggs, a little bit of chicken, the rest. Uh, and next they came in, all of, phew, the weight just dropped off me. Uh, right. I, I'm probably back to my plane weight right now. And uh, that's me into the golf, and it's helped my golf a wee bit. So, as I say, and then the point I'm trying to make, long story short, when I go to the football, it's 24 7. Someone, even uh, someone that we got off with, Jim Jeffries and Bully Brown, when I was in it with Chipper, uh, we were doing self Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Coming back, back on his training pits, exhausted. And we felt that was the way it had to be done. You had to, it was 24 7. And that's why I think we've got a lot of success at Falkirk in terms of recruitment. If you look at Casper Michael, Tim Cruel, or the boys for the Arsenal, it wasn't the case of making phone calls. We were doing watching. We were we were yeah. sitting next to these guys, them watching. Remember Casper Michael? We were looking for a goalkeeper. The thing about Falkirk is we controlled the budget. Mm-hmm. At Falkirk, I never spent over budget. In the twenty odd years I've been in football, I've spent two hundred and fifty grand on four players, and one of the players was Anthony Stokes, one hundred and thirty right. grand. The other one was Gilza, that was on a tribunal. We overpaid for him. I think we paid fifty grand. <laughs> I keep telling Gilza, keep telling Gilza that that'll be right. Another two was Dean Holden, now we manager of Charlton, twenty five grand. Another one was John Stewart. I think it was forty grand. So it was right. that. That was it. You have to find it. You have to know your market. Get out there and get stuck in it. So when we were doing watching Man City, um, I thought to see we were doing looking for a goalkeeper. I actually seen the guy sitting in a tracksuit. Uh, one of them was Joe Hart. I didn't realise at the time it was Joe Hart. He was on loan at Shrewsbury. And I went over him, as you do, being a, a widow, and just says, listen, and see your, uh, you, ah, I'm the goalkeeper. I'll, oh, he says, what about Casper Schmeichel? He says, different class. He's going to go right to the top. Thanks very much. So I need to watch the game. He was right. He was brilliant. Another guy caught over eye, a boy called Mayak Richards. I just used to teach him, look at him. He doesn't miss a header. Anyway, we only had something like 800 quid. Last 10 minutes of the game, all the scouts, all the scouts are going away, right? See you later, see you later. Chipper says, come on, let's go. And I says, no, 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 Chipper. I says, you uh, played with Pierce. Stuart Pierce was the manager, aye. I says, get in and see him. What? In and see him. Chipper went, I flung Chipper in the dressing room. <laughs> How are you doing, aye? Listen, we're doing for the uh, goalkeeper. Absolutely different class. Listen, nothing about money. And the lad he needs to play. If he's keen to come up to Scotland and play football, I'll put it to him tomorrow's morning. Casper was up the next again day in the afternoon, in the next next again afternoon, never looked back. He was outstanding. Yogi, isn't that the point? These are things you can't learn in a classroom. Do you know what I mean? 100%. And and the, the point being, the point I was trying to make anyway, you know, I think it's very important. You're saying you feel as if it's starting to turn, as if people are starting to realise the benefit of guys with experience. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's outdated, old-fashioned stuff. I mean, you know, when you look at the style of football that you have had your teams playing, that was contemporary stuff, Yogi. That was ahead of its time. So yeah. I think it's very important that people don't confuse just because, you know, this guy speaks in a certain way or used to play in a certain way that, you know... What, what, some what, sort you'll of, you know, what, what you'll find, these guys, are, as soon as they walk into a dressing room, they get players, I know we all play football, a lot of us see seen football in the olden days, is getting into the housing scheme, me, you know, brought on the house, loved every minute of it, but 
I'm sort of saying it was boxing or football for me, and I'm sort of saying I'm going to stick in it in the football and give me a better life. And I was always encouraged for everyone. I had I played in a juvenile where I played for Hutchie Vale, but it was so competitive. You, every skill in Scotland just come and looked at the juveniles and you could pick players up. And it was absolutely fantastic. Um, but then when you go into a dressing room and a footballer, they're educated on football. They won't coach, they won't stimulate it. And if you're going in there, you're not coaching them on a, on a coaching pitch and stimulating them and educating them and working them and questioning them, then the players within one training session of sorting such you out. You'll not get away with it using, using PowerPoint presentations every second day, come in here, have a look at this, this is what that. Listen, all that stuff should be in there in terms of match reports, seeing how the other team play 100%. But your job as a coach is to take that, put it all in place, and then go and coach it. So when your players play on a Saturday, they're basically actually saying, I think I've played this game before. No, that's the preparation that you put in. And it's your laptop or whatever it is, has to, it has to be your training pitch. You, you have to bring it to life. You have to bring it to life on the training pitch. And that's what I do. I, I do that. I stimulate. I get players, you know, asking questions, creating overloads in midfield, asking wingers to walk into the areas that you're sort of sitting in the fullback. Do I go with them? Do I stay? Do I go all the way? If he does, then opposition wingers now playing fullback. And, you're constantly, and then you have to put the ball on it. That's that's the thing about it. And one of the best examples for me is a big boy I work with, Gary Warren. Up, at, uh, it reminded me of myself. He hat on his sleeve, never missed a head. I wanted to train every day. Wanted to be the best. Great teammate, great in the dressing room, and he he just wanted to become a better footballer. And it was just like wow. So when you've got that kind of um, competitor saying, I want everything that you've got, get to me, I want I want to learn more on a night, you're off and running, followed by guys like Graham Shinney and Wee Christie and all the other guys. That's why we got success. I got very lucky, I recruited a right good team off the Terry Butcher, and all I needed to do was put my spin on it and mm-hmm. get my drip feed, my style of playing it. And it worked for me, and we got great success, but it was all down to the players, all down to the players. And good coaches, a good young coach up there called Scott Kelleher. He's assistant manager now, Kells. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely fantastic. He was fantastic. Latapi, and then Chipper later on. Russell was me. Russell's um, one of these guys that he can see the game a step in front. So when the game's going on and you're out there doing all your organisation, he's in your rear constantly. You better change this for just do that, go, go free in midfield and you know, settle it down for 10 minutes and you can make the changes. So everybody had a part to play. Um, mm-hmm. And it's only fair that I mention these guys. See, you're, that's interesting you're talking about Russell because, again, there's a perception with Russell that he was just a party animal and like great footballer, but nobody for the outside looking in would probably think he, he, was a, he could be a brilliant coach. And understands well, the game, etc. You know, it's all about perception, as we were saying earlier. Uh, well, Russell was still learning the bits and pieces of coaching. I've seen David, and I honestly trust me when I say that. When I was doing all the coaching, uh, the SFA coaching, you would get professional, better players than me coming onto the coaching, learning the coaching. Uh, and the first thing you see is, wow, this is this is so so different 
from playing the game, 100%. You're right at the bottom uh, running the ladder here. You're starting off again. Playing it and coaching it and educating it is two different things. I yeah. think you get a, I think you get a wee head start because you have played it a little bit. But then you get all the other stuff that has to come into it. Your man management, your people skills, how do you handle players, what environment, what spirit are you creating? Um, but in terms of knowledge and knowing the game, um, unbelievable. I had to actually say to Russell, there was a few times up at Inverness, Russell would join into training and he still had all his skills. In fact, I would say this, he's probably technically the best player I've ever played with. Russell Latapi was an absolute genius, a genius. And I played with Decani and Collins McStays, all these guys. Russell technically was a genius. Uh, and yeah. even but then up there, he was, and I'm saying, Russell, you need to come out the training. It's your job to coach him, mm-hmm. no show them. But at times when you did want to show him, he could go in and you just yeah. have to pull him out and just say, you have to let these guys get on it. And I felt that was a little bit hard for Russell. But it was brilliant. No, got absolutely brilliant. He played a massive part in the success that we had up at Inverness. I'm interested to know because I remember during the, the World Cup in Germany, Walter Smith was over and he was going to the games and all that and went out, went out for dinner room one night. And I got a fascinating insight into what it is. What you're just saying there about Russell Latipe, you can be a fine player you know, really intelligent player, and then all of a sudden you've got to think as a coach, which is entirely different. And I tell you how the, the story I'm going to say is that we were watching a game, um, and you know I'm doing what I do. I, I just watch it as a layman, right? I mean, we write about it, but we we follow the ball. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a corner kick. You're up, right? Who's at the back post? What was Smith looking that way? He's looking at the other end of the pitch. What's that defence doing when they are there? How disciplined are they? Where are they positioned? I mean, things like, my mind was blowing, you're thinking, I know that sounds dead simple and dead obvious, I guess, when you think about it, but for guys that are just brought up to watch football, you you need to change your brain and, and do the opposite of what you probably would have done as a fan, even as a player. Yeah, 100%. Keith, you, that, and that's what I'm saying now. You have to come up with the, the ideas. As you say, we're talking about people's perception and people's perception and everybody their own. I, I enjoy who I am. Uh, football's been really good to me uh, really good to me it's um, it's helped me in my life um, it's brought a lot of discipline to me the thing about football is the people you meet I've met some wonderful wonderful people but as I, say, I keep saying this when you go into the coaching and into the management it's playing it and uh, coaching it's two different things when I coach uh, I'm actually looking for my players to implement everything I've done on the training pitch. No matter what the result is, I've got my great belief in my head that if we implement implement all the stuff that we've worked on the training pitch, then we'll beat the we'll beat the opposition. So I'm looking if we're playing out at the back, and the guys making ourselves available available in midfield, there's a plenty of movement and we're creating that overload. So as you say, Keith, as the ball's doing there, I'm looking further up the pitch to see if their movements uh, good enough. For my players to go and uh, for them to go and pass it. Uh, so actually, it's the education of your of your own mind. I'm guessing when you step well, into the dugout, you need well, to change. Well, people say that I, I've already admitted that all my education was what to be a footballer. So, as soon as I went to school, I only went to school to play football. Yeah. To play football, I fell out with all my mates because 
for the primary school and the school team, uh, they started going skiing on on match day, and half of the half of the team went. I say skiing. Oh, you said you gave me a team. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm going you mean they went in? They went in. They went in a hill on a on a, uh, on a tray, a tea tray or uh, something like that. Skiing. Come on, I just went. I couldn't believe it. So, and it was just football when that passion for football, uh, but also that passion to educate yourself and see how it's done and uh, and try and and I keep saying this and noise a life out of me when I hear. Listen, everybody at their own. There's times I have to turn teams, all that stuff. Even the first when my goalie gets it, the first two or three times he gets it, we kick it on, we play on the seconds, all that. You know, all that place it is in. But when I hear the uh, coaches and I talk to coaches, oh, I've not got the players to play that style of football. Well, hold it one minute here. You're not playing against Real Madrid. Everything balances itself out. Maybe in the Scottish Premier League, you've got Rangers and Celtic are elite above. But everybody else balances itself out, sell out. And that's when it comes down to recruitment as well. I've always sort of said to myself, well, how did you do it? At, um, how did you do it at Falkirk and the teams uh, uh, you were at, so-called um, small clubs? My recruitment was spot on. Never, I always think that if you do it and you find the right players and the right coaches and the coaches and the managers you're talking to know that you play the game properly, there's every chance that you'll go and get them. And then you have to look after them. You have to look after them. So, and that was a big lesson as well in terms of um, players' welfare. I can remember at Falkirk when we brought Samuel, um, Colin Samuel. Uh, I was I was the manager. I think I was playing at the time. But after a month to six weeks, we realised that he was in a flat on his own, no company, very struggling how to uh, turn the cooker on and all that stuff. So. That's when all the player welfare comes into it. Mm. How do how do we help him with his banking and can we get him a car and all that stuff? And you know, so that was another wee part of your education that you, you're sort of looking after the players, get to know the players because the mental mindset of players nowadays you don't know where they are, where they are. Mm. But what you try to create is listen, when you come walking on my training pitch, that's my time. I'm not here. To, I'm not here to mess about. I want everything I've got to go. To you. A lot of my stuff, Keith, I do that's quite simple. Is if me and you played in a, and David, if we played in a seven aside, and it's well, you're talking 50, 50 before the seven aside, and we played all in. Uh, you would get the goal like kicking it. You, I would get it back. You would get it back. You would kick a long ball. I just we just put conditions in training, two touch below head tight. That forces everybody to become a footballer. Mm. Everybody has to be so you get the ball, you can't play it long, so you have to pass, get it back, pass, get it back. And that was all the stuff that we did at Celtic. It was mm. it was nothing what we did at Celtic was nothing different from Falkirk with from Jim and Bully. It was just the tempo and the intensity, intensity in which they went about it at Celtic. It was like two gears up from what, what we did at Falkirk. Tell me about, um, you know, your, your playing days. Um, what was Jeffrey's like to work with? I mean, David, you and I go back David, a long way. You know, I was at Falkirk when you were there. I was, I was working in that area. 
And I've uh, never seen, John, in all my years in football, I've never seen from an outsider looking in a more tight-knit dressing room than that was at Brockville back in the day. Well, first and foremost, I'll share this. For talking about football, I've loved every minute of it. Uh, when they change it, the only thing, the only regret I've got, I would give it all up to start over again at 15. I loved it that much. I love being competitive. I love being in that dressing room environment. I speak to eight players now and I say, do you miss it? No, no. And I look at them like, they go, what? You don't miss it? I say, you don't miss training, competing, keeping fit for a living, getting stuck in? No, no. I really, I would give it all up to start over again. That folk at dressing room, at Brockville, which was a midden, we'll have to put with a name, it was, it was a midden, but it was ours, it was our palace. Aye. The players that come through that dressing room was the best dressing room I've been in for spirit, camaraderie. It was unbelievable. And how Jim Jeffries done it. We just mentioned Walter Smith. I sort of look at Jim Jeffries as a Walter Smith kind of manager in terms he knows how to control players, he knows the right character, he knows what his dressing room needs, he knows when to hammer them, when to come off them. He's clever enough to have a real um, sort of maverick kind of pulling the strings beside them in terms of Billy Brown that had that go between the dressing room uh, and the manager's office. Uh, the training was great. And if I look at some of the players that Jim Jeffries signed in that Brockville days, you're talking about Tony Parch, UEFA Cup winner with Spurs, Joe McLaughlin, used to be captain of Chelsea, Tom McQueen, used to be West Ham's left back. Kevin McAllister used to play for Chelsea. John Clark, Stevie Fulton, Danny Weir, Chipper Rice, Ian McCall. It's, it goes Stain on. Road. Simon, Simon Stainrod was going to sing for uh, Barcelona, played for QPR. And I don't know how he done it, but that, that was something, how he did do it, that was something that stuck with me. Because I'm telling you, every day after Tuesday after training, Jim and Bolly would be in a car away himself watching games. And that stuck, that, that stuck with me and Chipper when yeah. we went in there. I got the short straw, I ended up with Chipper. But tell us this, John, when you went on Morris to... Morris Johnston, David. Morris Aye. Johnston, we had more. I know. Well, we all know about Mo Johnston, so you need to tell us what was going through your head that made you decide to strip off and run behind that camera, in front of that camera, oh, because David. that's what you David, But we're talking about Keith, we're talking about that, right? See, back then in the day, right, that got actually played on the news and everybody was, that come across the way, it was meant for a bit of fun, right? I don't know if you noticed that, I, I kept tripping over someone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't notice that, John. <laughs> in fact, it looked like a right cold night. <laughs> No, but it's just about the spirit. But see if you've done that now, I think you would get from the football club. Probably, aye. I'm serious, that's just the way society and everything, we've got everything in there that you have to watch what you're doing. Uh, there was even a wee... But, but then, that was just the spirit, and it was just the spirit that we had that football club. But John, it came, it came across, right? I, I, Davey worked in that, in the local area at the time. But I was covering, like, you know, when you were coming through, I went to Brockville more on a few occasions. 
it was a brilliant side to watch because it looked like being the most fun in the world that was possible to have with your clothes still on, being a full cup. No. <laughs> it just looked, it just looked, I mean, you guys, you and Joe McLaughlin with the dangerous brothers at centre half, flying at other and heading at other and volleying at other. And then you had all these players running about. The team spirit was brilliant. The football was good. It was, it was a brilliant team to go and watch. I thoroughly enjoyed watching that full cup side. We, we, we crunchy was what a unreal footballer. He was absolutely outstanding. But to get to him, and as I say, they players, you're sort of looking at it. You couldn't do that nowadays. You know, you're talking about players that played in Chelsea's first team and West Ham's first team. Nice. And then the ones that he had, they did players like Alec Taylor and all that. And Jim, one hand, Jim was, he realised it wasn't the right, the right character. Then uh, the boy never lasted too much at that football club. I can remember the day Big Davy Weir, the week Big Davy Weir walked through the door. You could see instantly. I said to him in the first week, you've got to play for Scotland. It, it was right. just a matter of him finding position. Um, cool, calm, collected, you know, just took everything in his stride. Uh, and most of my mates, you know, we've all got great friends and that's what I love about football. Everywhere I go, you're talking football, people are bumping in, how you doing, all that stuff. Uh, but most of my close friends in football are from that Falkirk dressing room. The boy Neil Oliver, Ollie uh, Berwick, uh, he's doing North Berwick, uh, Berwick yeah. upon Tweed, sorry. He's still my best mate to this day for that Falkirk yeah. dressing room. Although I met him at Berwick before, he's uh, even now. And that's, that was that uh, Falkirk dressing room. It was, you did, did not turn your back for one minute or your clothes would be ripped up or they'd be floating about in a bath or they'd be up on a flagpole. And, and you were talking about other guys. Don't forget, Jim just never brought everybody in. He, he took on board what was there, a guy, guys like Peter Harrison and Sammy McGovern and all these guys. They were all part of all that. And they, you know, they played a massive part in what we did. Um boy called Stephen Cody. I remember a young boy, Tags, Come in, flashing and go to sell a new car and all that mistake. Put the car keys in his pocket. We all went away on the minibus that we were training. Next again, minute right across the training pitch, Cody's driving his car, right, driving the car, right, and doing donuts in the, on the impact. <laughs> you, you couldn't make it up. Absolutely, you wouldn't get that nowadays. And even we, uh, we were jumpers for goalposts. Aye. We were, and everybody saw the goals used to get loaded onto the, the minibus. Everybody mm. used to pile in. Big tracky right. or somebody would drive the minibus. We would stop at traffic lights. The minibus would be rocking side to side. Guys would be getting from out the minibus. Me, Clay's on. We'd be driving on. Jim Jeffries used to drive behind us, behind it, him and Billy Brown to pick up the pieces before we even got to training. <laughs> and Jim Jeffries knew that. He wouldn't have it in our way. Absolutely. Well, that's actually what you're saying there, Yogi, is when you think about it, you know, you've got John Clark who scores winning goals against Barcelona in his career. You've got Mo Johnston who had the career that he had. And yet it seems that everybody, when they went to that football club, they all totally bought into the culture. There didn't seem to be any egos there. I mean, you consider, I mean, we Morris Johnson, you know, the career that he had, that, you oh. know, to be able to just integrate into that was something special. Yeah. Unbelievable. Morris took to it. Morris was one of the hardest trainers I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I heard Paddy Bonner actually stay in some another week there and say Morris at Celtic just used to stand uh, round about the goal to cap it in. 
and it brought a smile to my face because when he was at Falkirk, he was non-stop. He was non-stop. And the thing about it is um, our uh, night out was a Tuesday night out. So after training, we'd go back on a Tuesday when Morris only drank a champagne and what, didn't he? <laughs> so he used to buy the first round, he used to buy the next round, and that was us away him. Absolutely brilliant, Morris. And just even Simon Stainrod, I used to call Simon the big, you know, Sergeant Garcia, the big fat guard of Zorro. Uh huh. Zorro's eyes, me and him, me and him, he was absolutely big. Gordon Marshall as well, big Marshall, and went on to play at Celtic and goals. That was over sort of in the early days at Falkirk. That was the, the Shreeball, uh, big steamer. What a character he was. I know the downside, uh, guys, is you think you've got to be in touch with these guys for the rest of your life and you've got that friendship's got to continue. Everybody, that's the sad thing about football. Everybody goes their different ways and you have to get on with it. Mm. That's it. Absolutely. Tell us, can, I, can I just ask yeah. before, before that, Dave? If I rewind a little bit, you've talked about your upbringing. I know you were a painter and decorator, 16, 17, 18. But you were coming up, it was a hard knock school, you know, the, the part of the world that you grew up in, Leith. And I know you had personal tragedy to overcome. What part of that experience, Yogi, has motivated you and driven you all the way through? Everything, Keith, everything. Everything that I've done, it's my family, it's given me the platform to be the guy that I want to be. Uh, you, we all get, it's the fuel of um, disappointment and that's happened many a time, not just on the football side, but as you say, one or two um, tragedies in my life in terms of losing my brother with drugs in the early 80s, my mother dying at a very early age, probably when, when you look at it now at the age of 56, 57, sorry, my mother probably being... Uh, the one that held the whole family together. Um, leaving school, thinking I'm going to be a professional footballer, but they've talked about training in at Hibs two nights a week. Thinking uh, where we all trained up there, you're talking about John Robertson, uh, Gary Mackay, David Bowman, myself, Keithy Wright. We all trained up there two nights a week. Uh, thinking, right, that's it, I'm going in full time at Hibs. Never materialised and had to go into the painting. But it's usually all the disappointments to say, right, okay, I need to take that. Uh, but getting guidance from your family. You know, I come off with three big sisters, two big brothers. My mother was off her family, I think, at 12. Um, so you could imagine the family is well known in and around the leaf area. If it's no uncles, cousins, it's aunties, nephews and all that stuff. And it's still the same right now. It's still the same right now. But it's that family that... Um, give you the platform after all these disappointments that it's, you know and it's probably your upbringing that you're not going to take anything lying down you say no I'm going for that I'm going to show them and it's the disappointments and the heartbreak and getting beat that makes you the guy yeah I'll come back for a little bit more and that's why I still think that I've got plenty to give in terms of football um, and coaching and management and getting in there I've still got that passion, that desire, that, and it burns more, more than most. But I have to say this, if I'm no in and I'm in about it, like I was doing co-commentary on Saturday there, I come back frustrated. 
because mm-hmm. it really, really, I want to be in it, I want to be in it. So there's a something there that I have to stay away from it because it, it brings, I, I, I get I get frustrated if I'm not in it. If I stay away yeah. from it and put myself yeah. into something else, it makes it easier. But that upbringing mm-hmm. was brilliant. I, I'm leaf, I, listen, I would not change Mark. You could give me £10 million right now. I would go back to being a young kid uh, getting brought up. We were flying from the house at 7 o'clock in the morning and we weren't coming at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And your man, they were all, all together and there was hundreds of us. It was brilliant. And just so, as you say, touching on that, uh, drugs uh, sort of hit every sort of housing estate. And uh, the brother got caught up in that. Uh, and it was sad because he had a chance of being a footballer as well. He was a better footballer than me. He was a centre forward, left footed, right footed, natural footballer. Uh, my dad done everything at the can for him in terms of took him to every top club on trials. I would go along and watch, I would get tagged along, he would score hat tricks, easy for him. And yet he just took the path off um, the wrong path. And it's easily, I look at life now and sort of see, you look back. And you sort of say, um, could we do that? Even my mother, my man and dad bought an ice cream van for him to try and get him in his own business and in the ice cream van. Just so happens that I was the youngest one. I was the only one that could drive and I had to drive it. Oh. I had to drive it and he'd done the, he'd done the serving. Uh, and that, looking back at that, they'd done so, so much just to try and... Um, help him and put him on the right path. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. When I look back at myself and what you've just said, and looking back at my parents and what they've done in my family, even now, um, football was my safe haven, definitely. And that's why I'll always appreciate the football coaches that I had at a young age. Guys like Alan Dockery, way back at Hutchieville, when I was 14, 15, and at times I'm saying to my ma, that's me packing in football. And uh, next to game day, he would bang on the door and say, right, you get yourself back. And that was my mother playing the part of saying, he needs to be active playing football. That was my ma's greatest thing about me. She always says, too much energy, and you get yourself out for a couple of hours. You can't be sitting about the house. You're, you're too enthusiastic. I used to get on her nerves. She used to put me out the door. But we were in a house where... I don't think my, my mother's door ever got locked. Never got locked. It was never empty. You went in there. Uh, was, it was a council estate. Went in there. It was the hub of the, the estate. Everybody hanging about. Uh, always uh, pot of soup on, tripe, stories. Everything that went, everything that went in to feed, to feed a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. uh, never yeah. had much. And the two of my mom, my parents were hard workers. My dad was a docker. And my mother worked in the whiskey bond and done a cleaning job and all that stuff. But um, ah, it was great. I absolutely loved it. Even now, uh, when I do play golf, I play every now and then, well, every weekend. If I get the chance, I play with my brother and my two nephews and we have a right good laugh. A right, right. good laugh. That's my two sisters, laddies. And I have to say this, put this on record, they can't beat us. So, <laughs> but as Yogi, do, do you think, in a way, right, what happened with your brother? Was that the sort of a major alarm? The thing, the thing that, that 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 made you throw everything into football? Because if you don't, then you could go a very different way, and you've yeah. seen it in your own race. Yeah, Keith, one hundred percent. And even now, 
if anybody ever says to me, would you want to go in and anything out with football, go back in and we're going to help kids, give them a better life, give them a better uh, understanding of life, give them that platform of, listen, I'm here, that help, I'm here for you. And that was something that would, would interest me. Um, just because of that. And it's probably had that sort of profound effect on me. My parents realised it, that... Uh, I, football was my safe haven. I had to play football. That's why they had, they had me playing for the boys brigade to school. Everything was football, 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 football. Um, and then once you get a wee taste of it, you sort of say to yourself, right, that's for me. You always, as I say, the biggest disappointment was not going into Hibs at just leaving school. But instantly, uh, the painting and decorating was in, in the family. My brother... Um, my brother-in-law, my brother was into it. Brother run his own business for 40 odd years. Um, and he said, right, you're going to get a trade. I could have went somewhere else, you know, into the whiskey bonds. My man on up, you're going for a trade. Where the, the whiskey bonds were, you're getting a man's money as a young boy. A young boy, you're a first year apprentice, you're not getting bus fares, you're not making bus fares really. But at the end, you're a tradesman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even at the painting and decorating, it's like... I started chasing the money, painting and decorating, and I become a scheme painter, really. So you're going on in schemes where, you know, all the outside, all the roads, doing pipes, windows, all that stuff. You're saying, can you finish that in a week? Ah, boom. You do that, there's 50 quid bonus. So you, you and your partner's getting battered into that, flinging three-part ladders all over the place, all painting roads where you're bumping them, stretching out, you're about 40 feet up, cleaning out roads, hanging. And all that stuff, that was just nothing new to me because that's what I did, that's what I done jumping about the house in the States. All belief way back in the day, it's transformed itself now. But when you look at all the old whiskey bonds and all the old buildings and all that stuff, um, now they're all housing and yeah, penthouse flats. Right. We, used, we used to hang about in on it. That's what uh-huh. we used to do. We used to hang about and jump about and all, all this stuff. When they change it for the world, loved it, loved it. Even what did it mean to you, John? John, what did it mean to you when you, David, when you finally... Even now, we've talked about my friends in football, my best mate, and you're talking about Neil Oliver, John Collins, I jumped about with John a lot. But even for the days, all my best pals are still from my youth. All my, mm. Even now, even now, even though I've got still all my mates. I still on my mates, we go back there, still bump into each other. I still go do to see them and all that. They all still hang about each other and all their wives and all that stuff. So it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Want to ask you about, because uh, you've mentioned a couple of times now about the disappointment, uh, you know, no being taken on with Hibs as a teenager. You did finally get to play with Hibs. Now, I know that... that also, why I talked to you a wee bit about Tommy Burns in that time, you had at Celtic, obviously, but going back and finally making your debut for Hibs, that must have been such a kind of proud moment for yourself and for your family, considering that you were all leaders through and through. Well, David, after all that disappointment, you're probably saying I went the, the long, long way around to get there, to, to get to the top. And if you talk about any young kid in Scotland who's probably playing for the old firm, if you if you ever get the opportunity to play for the old firm, uh, that that that's the elite status um, getting up there. So I went the hard way to, to get to it in terms of, as you say, after that disappointment, the Hibs, uh, no getting in at Hibs as a kid, 
Uh, I actually sent for Arbroath, believe it or not. There was four years for Hutchie Vale, sent for Arbroath. The manager was Ian Stewart. And I ended up at Arbroath for about six months. But then I was painting and decorating, just left school, painting and decorating, and I found it really difficult to make the training two nights a week, uh, covered in paint. Uh, and yet I was getting close to the first team. Uh, even at that young age, I was getting close to the first team. Some great senior pros up there. And even now we were all in the group chat where we go at Christmas time. Um, you're talking about Graham Shaw, David Young, Bullet, uh, Gavin, all these guys. Um, Brian Randall was the other one. Anyway, after six months, it never worked out. And I went back play for the boys club. Then I went for the boys club to the juniors. The junior was a real eye-opener because you're a boy playing in match football, um, Newton Green Star. And then for Newton Green Star, I went to Berwick Rangers where I first come across Jim Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Then for Berwick Rangers to Swansea City, where I first, that's where I first went full-time um, doing at Swansea City. But for some unknown reason, I ended up at Swansea City as a centre-forward because Jim Jeffries at Berwick Rangers, we couldn't win a game. He says, I'm putting you centre-forward. And we went 22 games unbeaten. And even when I look back at Berwick Rangers, Swansea City, I honestly think, and all the disappointments of that Hibs, I honestly think it's passed out for you. You have to have all these disappointments to become the person that you, that you are, to get to get the heights. And when I look back at it, Ralph Callaghan, I played with Ralph at um, Berwick Rangers, he was one of my heroes when he played for Hibs, Ralph yeah. Callaghan. To play with him at Berwick Rangers, learning off with him, went to Swansea City. You're talking about guys like Chris Coleman, um, Robbie James, all these guys, Alan Curtis, all, all the greats doing at Swansea, Tommy Hutchison, Terry Yorath, Ian Evans was the manager when I first went doing. He was a assistant manager with Mick McCaffrey in the Republic of Ireland squad. Great lad. Terry Yorath then come in, fantastic. And then Jim Jeffries moved on to Falkirk and I joined him. And then we've talked about that going in there now, full time, becoming a man, finding your feet, sort of getting in the Premier League, coming up against Celtic Rangers at Brockville, rolling the sleeves up and say, come on then, no matter what you've got, bring it on. And that was the culture. And But all that stuff I've just talked about played a part in it. Even, even then, leaving Falkirk to go and sign for Celtic, you're at the age of 31 years saying, whoa, I don't think that would ever happen if I never had everything happen before that. All the experiences, the disappointment, heading on you were a centre-forward, eventually never being a centre-forward, finding your feet as a centre-half, seeing the game in front of you and saying, oh, Jesus Christ, we turned the lights on here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then coming up against the strikers that you're coming up against, Broke Vogue, starting to make a name for yourself, um, you know, take no prisoners, all that sort of style. But also even in the back of your mind that you're a professional footballer, you have to pass the ball. Then playing with, seeing all these great players that were mentioned and saying, oh, these guys. Because, listen, one of my great sayings is when I go into a football club, I'll say to any pro, what position do you play? He says, I'm a right back, I'm a centre half, I'm a midfielder. They're all wrong. That's where it all goes wrong. You're all footballers. You should be able to yeah. play anyway. Yeah. Come a Saturday, you're a footballer. You should be able to do with that. So when I'm playing with all these great players, 
I'm saying these guys are in front of me. I need to learn. I need to get up to speed. What is he doing? I need to learn and, and all that stuff. So I think all that built up over the years, all the experiences for me going into Celtic. And I went into Celtic as a journeyman, captain Dave Falkirk, all that. Beat Celtic numerous times when we played. Always good games. And I just, I was like a fish out of water. Absolute fish out of water. Went in 31, so you're a senior pro. Wait on the training pitch and I just went, whoa, what's going on here? It was like, honestly, it was like, it was like pinball. You had young kids like Simon Donnelly and Brian McLaughlin, Jackie McNamara, all these guys, pass move, popping it, popping it all over the place, the canyon, the rondos, the 5v2, 6v2 rondos. It was like, I was never out in the middle, kept giving the ball away. And it was like, <laughs> I'm serious when I say that. It made me the fittest at the club. I used to get nutmegged every day, but because of all those experiences and because I was 31, I could actually take it on board, decipher what needed done and come in the next again day and be instantly better for it. Instantly better for it. Because just watching they play one touch, their heads, their heads never down, it's pass, round corner, pass, move. And then putting on board, I'm not a centre-half, I'm a footballer. I'll play a centre-half on a Saturday. And then at the back of that, we had a great Tommy Burns. He was Pep Garviola, always in your ear. I don't know, mm -hmm. he must have done this to every player. He wouldn't, obviously, it's not just me, but he made it feel like it was just you. Yeah. Listen, I don't you can't do what uh, McStay Collins does. I'll, they can't do what you do. You do your job, I'll, you do that, get better at this, get better. And then two days later, there was times I would go home and I would say about Gordon Marshall driving home in the car. I think I'm the only name that Tommy Bunch knows. Go, Yogi, Yogi. And all, <laughs> he's, all he was doing is just, it was just hitting you with a big stick to get you into the standard of Glasgow Celtic. The hang mm -hmm. about it, David, he could come on the training pitch and train and be the best player. He was Aye. brilliant. He was unbelievable. And if it no. was intensity and the standard wasn't there, he would leave one on someday and that would kick off and young the old. And <laughs> kick off and be smashing <laughs> on. And training was harder than playing in the game, honestly. Uh, and it meant that uh, much. And it, just towards the, the recent, they signed, I sort of took over for a big Tony Mowbray and then they signed Stubbsy. And it always brought a stout smile in my face. It was a... Uh, all I heard was, because uh, I was still there when Big Stubbs had come, all I heard was, Stubbsy, Stubbsy. No matter what, hitting him with a big stick, speed it up, don't do this, don't do that. I can remember in a game, I took the ball at centre-half all the time in the world, passed it across to my full-back, Jackie McNamara, Jackie straight to him, took it, played forward, Tommy Bonds gave me a roasting. And they never gave you a roast and always in front of players that would pull you. He says, that's not good enough. And I'm sort of saying, why? I'm sort of saying to myself, he says, that pass needs to be zipped into Jackie. He needs to get him on the front foot. That, so he's taking on the front foot and the speed and the pace it and they just go, boom, got it. I think if I was a young guy and they're getting all that kind of information, it would go over my head. I think I was yeah. at the age and at the time that I was a sponge. Come on, no. come on, give me it. And I would listen to everything. And don't forget uh, Billy Stark as well. Mm -hmm. Stark used to join in. He used to not 
I mean, every, every day just used to laugh. And then old Frank Connor, Frank Connor mm. was probably the only guy I was scared of. If I had a growth or anything like that, I'd, I'd be sneaking the side door because if he would, you would get the big curly finger, come here, you, you represent in Glasgow Celtic. You conduct yourself in a proper manner. You dress properly and all that stuff. And you know you are somewhere special. And as right. I say, I'll say that it was all that, all that stuff, all that uh, early stuff in my childhood, for my family, for the platform, for the disappointments, for the fuel it says, I'll show you. Um, um, kidding on you with a centre forward, all the ups, all the downs in football, the injuries, the broken legs, numerous broken legs, broken arms, playing through injury, uh, and coming out to get to play for Glasgow Celtic. That was my preparation. If I never had that, I think it would have just went over my head. And that's why every minute, every second, every day, I appreciated it. Even now, when I go back to Celtic, I think the fans know that um, it was like winning a lottery for me and uh, getting to represent Celtic. I can remember my debut. I signed, uh, I met, uh, I signed, yeah, I'll tell you, Celt Ferguson, McCann didn't know Tommy Burns was signing me. He just done it. Hmm. I was going to sign for reason for Falkirk. I was sitting in, Bill McMurdo was my agent. We were sitting in the car. The phone went, he went, here's a lad here. He went, Tommy Burns. I picked the phone up and he went, listen, Tommy Burns, Glasgow Celtic, he says, we've been watching you. I was meant to sign probably the year before, but I broke my ankle up against Celtic and I was out for something like about six months. Right. And I'm just like, aye, in the Glasgow accent, I said, Morris, I thought it was Morris Johnston taking a <laughs> Morris. <laughs> Cut it, Bob McMurdo's big McMurdo's gone. Burns. I went, oh Christ, so Mick, Tommy Burns, right? Okay, okay, Tommy Burns, right? Uh, I'll meet you at my house. Bob was, I think, Bob stayed in Easter House. Mm -hmm. No, Duddingston, somewhere through there. Big range of Yeah, everybody knows Bob. He says, you've got one phone call. I phoned my wife. I said, listen, I think we've got to send for Celtic. I'm going to speak to him. I says, go down and tell my old man. My old man had finished his work. He's in the boozer having a pint. My missus pulled my dad out and says, listen, I think you've got to send for Celtic. Don't say anything. <laughs> he went back in the boozer. Everybody a pint. My lad has got to send for Celtic. He <laughs> <laughs> had me money. He said, pay it on my slate. Murdo's house, it's like walking into Ibrox. He had the Rangers, all the Rangers carpet, Rangers rugs, red, white, and blue, everything I went off for Jeep Bill. Bill laughing at me. Two minutes later, bang on the door, Tommy Burns, Billy Stark. He's gave him, he gave him a cup of tea in Rangers mugs. They too, you know, <laughs> just started laughing. He just started laughing. He just said, I wouldn't expect nothing else, Bill. And all that, and then that was it. Ten minutes, deal was done. Went through on the Saturday. Uh, um, Rod Stewart was coming to open the stadium. Bill McMurdo was helping them. I wet met Rod Stewart coming off the jet, all that stuff. So you're saying, oh, <laughs> wet, and then you hang your head up, knocked it off with a big swagger, wet back to Park Eden. The guy wouldn't have got to let me in. So eventually, I'm serious. He says, Who right? So I had to explain it. Go and uh, they played Newcastle then on the Monday they played Liverpool and that's when I made my debut. My old man then was in 
he was not, he was in bad health, but he was a big Celtic supporter. He come from the, the Irish side, and uh, my oldest brother brought him through. And I made my debut against Liverpool. My old man was a real football guy. My old man could play football. Everybody says you're never good as your fairer. Left foot, right foot. They reckon he was a real top footballer. Mm. Never got his claim to fame as he never got sent off in his life. He says, you must have got your nature for your mother. Because I was getting sent off as a young boy all the time. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a real educator. He, he, he had trials for that great Dundee team away back in the 60s. Right. Only Rangers banged on his door, so he knew he knew football. Always regarded mm-hmm. old man as a gentleman, you know, quiet man, gentleman. Um, uh, always, I can always re- remember his motto. He uh, was my hero. Always remember his motto was, you know, hard days work for a hard days pay, or a hard days pays for a good days work, no matter what. Yeah. And uh, always be a fan. As what we were talking about, Keith Ellis, always be a fan to. Always be yourself. Always be mm-hmm. authentic and be yourself. Don't think you try to make it up and be something that you know. And that was it. So I made my debut against Liverpool. I can remember Fowler, Rushy, McManaman. And I can remember being high up. McManaman went on amazing. All the grass he went. He knocked it past me. What he going at? And I just closed one them. Took him out. And the place erupted. I got booted. <laughs> we finished. The place erupted. I got booted. But it's language. <laughs> The fans so all right, we know what we're getting. And it was hard to, it was hard to, because uh, the Celtic and Ranger fans either want one of their own or they want to see big money. So for Celtic to sing someone for Falkirk, yeah, but yeah. I won them over because I wore my heart on my sleeve and I gave it everything. But everything that we've talked about prepared me for that time. And that's why um, I enjoyed it so much, gave it everything. And obviously, you, you score a couple of goals, one at Rangers, you know, even now. Um, and I was in Shrew there the other week there doing a community function for Celtic. It was me, Peter Grant, Tom Boyd, and I was questioning and answering a great night. And I, and I sort of stood up that and I sort of said, and my sort of finishing bit of it. Hopefully, uh, the supporters will recognise it. I gave it everything that they've got. And they were all upstanding applauding. And, uh, and I was what I would have stayed there, guys, honestly. It was at the time with Bosman, and we call and see he had shot off to Monaco using that sort of Bosman kind of hang. And I was yeah. sort of to myself, I've got another year to go, I can sit in there, I can get the Bosman, but I've never been in football for money. And that's why, mm. even seeing my teams play the style that they play and they get beat, I think there's a lot of coaches and managers around there for the job. And they need the job for the money and all that stuff. Listen, mm. if I was in a right good job and it wasn't getting done right and I was picking up right good money and it wasn't getting done right, I would walk out. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I would walk think, out. My wife think, might say, what are you doing? And she, she <coughs> understands. Do you think, Yogi, you know, you've talked about being on, on a, a trajectory, a sort of a, a path of faith where you had to go here to get to there, to get to there, to end up as a player at 31, signing for Celtic, playing in that phenomenal side because the football was unreal. What I'm going to ask you is what you learned the first day you stepped onto the training pitch and realised how high the standard was. Do you think that year that you had there was the, the then the trigger point for this is what I'm going to do as a coach? If you hadn't had that education, if you hadn't walked on that training pitch 
if you hadn't seen the standards with your own eyes, you would have no idea how to do that as a coach. But I'm guessing that that year taught you 10 years worth in terms of what you want to do now that you, you get into the management side of yeah, yeah, I have to, I have to say this. My father was always my best coach. My dad was a footballer, you know, take it, pass it, all that stuff. But everything, even when you went with Jim and Bully, Jim and Bully, because it was Brockville and all that stuff, we had that style, style that uh, you'll know beat us. Everything was a battle. We got stuck in. We would train on the pitch sometimes the day before, and everybody knew uh, what they were getting. But there was times under Jim and Bully under. No illusions, Keith. They they knew the game at the back of the hand, yeah. and how to, um, you know, how to. So it was, but it was all that education. But when you went in there, it was like going to university. I have to say that it was yeah. like going to university. It was for me. I always yeah. think back and sit back, and I, I jump about with John Collins most days and things like that, and I always say that to John. Uh, John was it, and it was a university and education for you. But don't forget, John was there for four or five years. And it's good to bounce off. But mm-hmm. John then says to me, it was like a university going to Monaco when he left Celtic and went to Monaco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? He went, whoa, I'm leaving Celtic going to Monaco. And he's going, whoa, this is another. And then yeah. when I went to Celtic, so it was a game everything you got. Didn't want to go home, want to listen. The way players talk football, the way they conducted themselves. Guys like... Uh, you know, Paul McStay was injured when I first went there, but when he started coming on the training pitch, you wouldn't get the ball from him in a phone box. He was unbelievable. Mm. Collins, the way he played, the Canio, Van Hunter. And I'll say this, this is my biggest thing I've noticed. All these big guys in a big club like Celtic, that's where I've come across the most humblest, humble guys. And in, in f- these guys, when I've went over to be it coaching or anything like that, I think the players walk about wearing with a swagger on. These guys mm-hmm. up there, they're humble, mm-hmm. respectful for what they've got. And you're in that. And it's not just how you do it in a standard. Uh, but I always say that when I'm a footballer and I need to get up. And I was a quick learner. Uh, and it was an education. As I say, I was going to leave there. Uh, Tommy Burns was like, Pep, I can't. He had a profound effect on me, to tell you the truth, just the way he seen the game. I can remember Aberdeen beating us 2 0 up at Pudodrin. And I looked over at the bench and all he was doing was just like, oh, relax, pass the ball, pass the ball. We beat them 3-2. Nice. We beat them 3-2 and it was just go, I'm at something here that, listen, basically it was Tommy, why get into a toe-to-toe fisticuffs, two boxers slugging it where you can be a, you can be a boxer and you can just jab them and move and you can still, and that was what it was like at Celtic. The ball done all the work, done all the running. Mm-hmm. And you, he just educated you how to get on it and pass it and where to pass it and give it to the right. And it was easy because the players were, he just gave it to these guys and these guys made it happen. Uh, yeah. And I was lucky, you know, uh, they took to me and I played in a right good team. Unfortunately, what we touched on, Walter was across the city and he was very astute, Walter. And if you've seen that Rangers team he built in terms of low drop, Gascoigne, Goffey, Borums, you could go on and on. That was a proper Rangers team. And uh, yeah. was unfortunately, that's what we come up against. Lost one league game and still never won the league. Right. So, that's right. five, five <coughs> uh, so, that, so anyway, 
going on, I was uh, looking at that. There was a few chances here. I could have moved on. Uh, I realised that my playing time was going to be short. Uh, never still there, training away, all that stuff. And eventually, uh, uh, Tommy Burns, but always talking to you every day. Every day, always talking to right. you. Oh, right. Keep your head and keep training hard and this and that. And, and then he, he pulled me in one day. He says, listen, I think you'll, uh, you'll fancy this one. And I says, what is it? He says, Hibs have come in for you. I can remember shaking, leaning over the, t- the table, shaking his hand and saying, thank you very much. No, no, just go and talk to them. <laughs> no, 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 no. I says, that, that's one of my ambitions to go and play for my, for my club. Uh, but growing up, I was a Celtic supporter to the age of 15. And right. I used to go on the Leaf supporters bus through the park keep. And then right. I started playing on a Saturday in the juvenile, so I couldn't get a park keep. And then you could get up, but you could play and get up to Easter Road. And that's where mm-hmm. my lovely hips come and all that stuff. And, and then I turned over and I said, No, um, hips are my team. So to get that chance to go to Hibs, Jockey Scott at Sydney. And to go into Hibs, uh, it was brilliant. Uh, as, when I played the Falkirk against Easter Road, it was all my mates that were on the terrace and gave the pelters and all that. And, yeah. Are you going for a pint tonight, Yogi? I said, only if we win. And all that <laughs> stuff, all the banter and all that. So to go and represent them, and it was a long time coming, as I say, you know, you're talking about, what, 15 odd years for, yeah. it to, for, for it to happen, to eventually get there. Um, absolutely fantastic. It, it wasn't when I first went in, I have to say that it wasn't like the Hibs it is now, you know. Mm. The Hibs, but every club's moved on, moved on. We're talking about the Hibs now, what they're doing with the commercial side and all that. Listen, you, you can shop for that. That's just good housekeeping, you know. Yeah. You look at, I, I was at True at Celtic uh, the other week, there, and uh, you look at Celtic and the Celtic way and all that. It's just good housekeeping. You have to keep evolving with, with the times. And, that's all Hibs have really done. It wasn't the Hibs when I went in. You're talking about the, the facilities. Uh, we were a wee bit jumpers for goalposts, trained at two or three different uh, locations. But fantastic, loved it. It was like a coming home for me. And then uh, bringing all that experience that I had at Celtic, try to bring it to Hibs. Um, you know, in that part of your career where you're probably a warrior, the experienced player, more a mentor, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And even at Hibs, you know, to play with guys like Chip Chanley, um, Ray Wilkins, absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's played a big part, you know, it's played a big part. So it was great, it's great to see where they are now for my time. But even then, after the playing career, and you go into the coaching and the management, you go back to Hibs to get the chance to manage him. There's a few regrets, no got many. I've always sort of said to myself, if that never happened, you wouldn't have done that. If that never happened, you wouldn't have done that. If I was still man- manager at Hibs, but that's one of my regrets that I never got the time mm. to, to get a success there, or so-called success. But even in my, over the, the year I was there, I got them fourth in Europe. I have to say nice. this, Rod Petrie was a hard chairman, Rod Petrie was a hard chairman to, to work for, Rod. Mm-hmm. Rod went through a lot, a lot of good managers over the years. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but to get them fourth and get them in Europe to be sacked eight games into the new season, the next again oh, year, awesome. where I think two of them was Celtic and Rangers, and the other two were Maribor in the Cup European Cup. 
was, that was one of the regrets and disappointments. But it's football. What I'm trying to say is, if, I, if that never happened, I would never have been a manager in Inverness and had the success up at Inverness. Just to kind of, you know, wind this up, it's been a, it's been a brilliant you know, hour and 15 minutes, I think it is now, so we've probably kept you over your time, but uh, but it's been it's been terrific. Just want to ask you, like, two of your former clubs, obviously Inverness and Celtic, are now going into the Scottish Cup final. Um, if you were Billy Dodds, if you are in that dressing room, what are you saying to... That Inverness team to make them believe that yes, they can beat this relentless Celtic David, team. Good question, because I'm quite uh, good. Good question, because I'm sure that um, I'll get asked this uh, coming up to it with two my old teams. When I took Celtic on and beat them in the semi final of the cup, we were we were a better team. No disrespect, we were a better team than Inverness are right now. I've just mentioned some of the players that I had at, at my disposal. Um, yeah. And we had beat Celtic. We were competing against them and we had beat them, I think, the second game of the season that season. So going into, the, going into that semi-final of the Scottish Cup, we had nothing to lose. We were in as massive underdogs as Bully Dodge's uh, team will have to do. Um, you have to respect them, but you, you have to make sure that you're standing up against them. That has to come from within, with a great self of belief. You have it. You'll have to understand that there'll be, you'll have to suffer. Celtic will dominate the football. But I've seen many a games and many a pattern in the game where teams have suffered. We'll be watching one tonight where I think uh, Real Madrid will suffer. Real Madrid suffered over in, uh, over in Madrid with Man City uh, mm-hmm. dominating the ball. But don't write Real Madrid off. And I think that'll have to be the game plan for, uh, for Burnley Dodge. But great, you cannot just say, listen, boys, a uh, great achievement for getting here. You owe it to Enjoy yourself, you owe it to yourself, your family, your teammate to say, listen, I'm not accepting that. A great achievement just for getting here. I, I, I'm not accepting that. I want to go out and give it a right good go. And if we get beat, get beat, having a right good go, doing it the right way and fighting. Like we did it for a couple of years ago against Rangers. He beat us 1-0. Mm-hmm. I was delighted after the game because I always I think we were a better football team. Even mm-hmm. now, when you speak to one or two of them, these Rangers guys, they would admit it. And that's where I get my satisfaction. So have a right good go. Have a right good go. At it. Um, it is a great achievement, but you cannot sit back and rest on your laurels no. and just say, well, great. No, go and, go and have a go. And who knows? Yogi, before, before we started this podcast, me and you were talking, and uh, we talked about the last old firm game there and the tactical bit that, that Michael Beale put in to get an, a man extra in midfield and overload Celtic in there. And, you know, I know it's a different calibre of player we're talking about here, but has he, has Michael Beale maybe laid down a little tactical hint there that, that, that Billy Dodds would look at and think, hmm, that's worth considering. I could do, I could do something similar here. Keith, do you want to know something? All good coaches, we all, we all copy. You pick, you pick each other's pockets. You look at someone. You might know people might not put their hand up to it and say, "Oh, I copied them." Or copy. That's how you become a good coach. You, you know, get your ego out of the way. You know, I, I picked his brains. I asked him. I've done what he done. He actually helped me tactically. I was sitting at that game, and that's it. 
exactly what I think. I would sit and say, if I was Billy Dodds, I wouldn't be too far away for doing what Michael Beale's done to Rangers today. As you say, you've got that 4v3 overload with uh, Jack, Raskin, um, Lundstrom and Cantwell. Cantwell, another one, there's another Lundstrom. Uh, another one, a Liverpool boy, um, Lundstrom against the Shreeman midfield. So it was 4v3 four, right. four in the middle. I was on co commentary. I'm not going to tell Ange how to do what to do. But see when Celtic had the ball, if the fullbacks went higher and wide, Celtic then got a 5v4 overload. Yeah. So although Rangers have got the overload going through the middle, if the fullbacks went high and wide, then you're sitting Lundstrom and Jack, you're playing against two. Because the fullbacks, the Rangers are pinned with Celtic swingers. You're mm-hmm. playing against. Two Rangers really know playing against wingers. They played the two Sakala and Matombo narrow. It was yeah. Lundstrom and Jack had no different for Stephen Gerrard. I remember saying to Anfield, you're playing that four, 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 three, three role. Aye, how does it work? Aye, the centre forward drops back on the second midfielder. If the full back, the opposition full back goes to full left, I'm the right midfielder. My job is to get out to him. The second midfielder's job is uh, to knock over and maybe play on my guy. But if he drops deep, then one of the strikers drop in on him. But I have to match him. And that's what I'm saying. And I'm sort of seeing the commentary a few times because I'm above watching it. If the Celtic fullbacks play in wide, so you're talking about Ramston going in and basically saying to Lundstrom, how are you doing? I'm marking you. No, 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 get out, get high, get wide and say to Lundstrom, I've got a problem here, I'm playing against two. And the other fullback. And in, I think Celtic fullbacks just got to the side two or three times. But that's why i seen it. And once again, you know, they beat them in the semi-final, done it the same way, been very successful uh, playing the inverted fullbacks and all that stuff. But I just felt you played it in the Rangers' hands. I just feel, as I say, through the middle, Rangers overload, natural over, overload of 4v3. Celtic playing it. If you've got your fullbacks high and wide, you've got the overload of 5v4. I think I hope Ange might have a look at that and say, right, because all you've done is Michael Beale's got the, the monkey off his back and you've gave them encouragement. Mm-hmm. You've gave yeah. Rangers encouragement, no matter what, Celtic got four or five players. Angel, no, he's not. He's a very astute guy. He'll know. But he also won't and change, will And I'm honest. He also Keith, listen, no matter what's happened this season, no matter what you see, and Celtic will probably go on and win the trip. They're not far away from each other. Trust me on that. Yeah. And I'm delighted that we've got a guy like Michael Beale and Ange uh, Postacoglu in at these the senior clubs because... The two of them are right good football guys. They're football guys. They get it down, they pass it. They're tactical, they pass it, they dominate the ball. And I've linked to see a lot more uh, Scottish managers uh, playing that style of football. 